The Pharisees and religion scholars came to Jesus, all the way from Jerusalem, the center of religious and political life, to criticize and say, Why do your disciples play fast and loose with the rules, not even neutrality, washing their hands before you? But Jesus shot back. Why do you use your rules to play fast and loose with God's clear commands? God clearly says, honor your father and mother. And anyone speaking ill of father and mother should be killed. But you tell people, what would have been spent on your care, I have given to God as an act of devotion to him. So you cancel out God's clear teaching by means of your teaching. Frauds. Isaiah describes you perfectly when he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is light years away from me. Their worship comes to nothing because human instructions are taught as commands. Then Jesus called the crowds together and said, Listen up, it's not what you swallow that pollutes your life, but what you vomit up. Later his disciples came and told him, do you realize how offended the Pharisees were by what you just said? Jesus shrugged it off, saying, Every tree that wasn't planted by my Father in heaven will be pulled up by its roots. Forget them. They are blind men leading other blind men. When a blind man leads a blind man, they both end up in the ditch. Peter said, I don't get it. Explain this in plain language. Jesus is fine. <laughs> you too. Are you being willfully stupid? Think about it. What you take in through your mouth goes into your intestines and gets pooped in the toilet. But what comes out of the mouth gets its start in the heart. It starts in your minds, emotions, and thoughts. It's from the heart of Ivana, vicious ideas, murders, marriage, breaking, sexual immortalities, stealings, false witnesses, and slander. That filth pollutes. Washing or not washing your hands before eating, that's never been the point. The word of the Lord. It's not every day you get to hear poop. <laughs> Second. 
first. They've forgotten first things. So, one of the questions I want you to walk away from and pray about and think about as we leave today is what are we putting first that's supposed to be second if it's supposed to be put at all? So, as we begin this uh, sermon, I want you to remember also is it not on? Usually I don't. You hearing me okay anyway? Probably. Uh, so we'll keep going at that and see if that helps. Is that better? Um, no? Just be my usual self? Okay. Um, so, one of the ways of going at this is to think about what is it that in the Gospel of Matthew, one of the weird things about Matthew's Gospel, here you have a Gospel He actually says, you have a fine way of canceling out 
basically to the church, to the temple, I couldn't retract that vow. It was done. So in the ancient world, of course, how do parents get taken care of? What was social security? Your children, right? So although we may hear this as a highly personal thing, this is a justice thing, right? What basically had happened is that Jesus shoots back and said, you know what? Let's even talk about the whole ritual hand-washing thing initially. What really ticks me off about you people is you have decided that even though God says really clearly, this is so important, you should die if you say anything bad about your parents. You're like, oh, you know, if you promise something to the temple, your parents can go out to the bigger house. <laughs> when we read this, I read this, and I think, man, these guys are such idiots. Like, they're so far off. Couple things I want us to think about how they get so far. Well, the Pharisees and the religious scholars, the reason they started doing all these things was that initially they were trying to figure out Israel really screwed up. Israel was not a just nation, Israel was not worshiping God right. And so the Pharisees and the religious scholars said, well, what do we need to do to embody that? Like, like how do we do that as the ordinary? How do we remember that? in everyday life. And so they came up with these kinds of rules and rhythms that would ritually externally remind them supposedly of why they were doing these things in the first place. They didn't want to be like the Israel of the past. Now are they starting to sound a little familiar? Who is it that we don't want to be like? Who is it that we look back at a church perhaps who's blown it, who's missed it, and we say, oh, I do not want to be those. Who are they for you? On my Facebook feed, <clears throat> it's certain evangelicals. It's, on another Facebook feed, right, certain liberals and progressives. One of the ways to figure out would be to ask if you think about who is it that you criticize how we know what the Pharisees are, are how they're off is we have to look at their criticism what's your criticism what's the likely thing that you're going to say what are the rules for those people that you look out and say you've really missed it and then maybe we can begin to get a sense of why the Pharisees and how the religious scholars with all this knowledge and PhDs and things like religion and ethics like me or maybe some New Testament people out there, right? People who have learned all this stuff, how they get so off track. Part of it begins with a good intention. We don't want to be the unfaithful people. We don't want to be the people who miss it. Now, for some of us, I imagine, looking around the room at Mountainside, my impression is that many of us come from backgrounds where we had some pretty strong rules and rituals <laughs> that counted and began to feel like first things. How we dressed, whether or not I got a tattoo, whether or not I ever said a bad word, whether or not I believed the right things in the right ways. And I think maybe many of us, at least people like me, are came out and 
I can wear my jean shorts to church, right? <laughs> I'm not going to be policed. There's a way that those kinds of constrictions actually got at that first thing. They weren't merciful. They were just mean. Many of us come from backgrounds in churches, families, and places where those began to be like prisons. They were not merciful ways that we can enact our faith. They became like things that kept us from God and felt judgmental and harsh. So we left those, many of us. But the problem, of course, is that the Pharisees are people like us, serious people, serious like us about our about not wanting to repeat the mistakes of the past and becoming those people. So our task, if we're to take this scripture, I think is God's word, is to listen. What is it that we perhaps have become in reaction? What are we now perhaps thinking and policing of each other on our Facebook feeds, in our conversations, what is it that we're afraid of saying? Or what are we quick to jump and say just like the Pharisees did? Why do you people not speak in this way about gender, about class, about race? Why do you flow it so badly? I mean, as you know, right, I was just at this for a living. <laughs> I make a living by making sorts of judgments about all of this, right? <laughs> Criticizing is perhaps a fine art in my discourse. <laughs> and that can be okay if, Jesus says, you don't lose sight that there's a first thing. How is it that you speak to those neighbors of yours? Who don't protest the way you do, the way we do, who don't write the same letters, who don't speak the same language about Jesus that we do. Because, of course, the famous text and psalm doesn't say they'll know we're Christians by our correct protest letter writing campaign, <laughs> that we can say cuss words and know Jesus still loves us. I mean, all of things be quite true, right? The point, is, is, the point is, no, they say, look at how those people love. Look at how those people, how unexpectedly these people who've experienced God's mercy give it liberally to everyone who asks, and even those who don't. That's the first thing. Remember Lewis's quote, right? He says, you do the first thing, you get the second thing. It does matter how we live in our ordinary life, right? It does matter what we do. But our task is to figure out, in this text, I think, if we go back to the uh, well, So I think one of the things that we have to figure out is how do you and how do we live in the first thing of enacting God's mercy to our neighbors. 
he starts, unfortunately, for people like me, uh, sometimes this vicious ideas is sometimes translated um, evil thoughts, or sometimes just quarrelessness or anger. I'm like, oh, now we're getting. <laughs> Jesus always says, okay, it's what is in us, right? What we have to figure out is I'm not as concerned those external things that we're policing for ourselves and other people, whatever they are for you and for us. We can't lose sight that the point of all of this is who are we becoming? Who are we as people who know God's mercy, receive God's mercy, and give that freely to other people? When he gives this list, he says, this is what neighborliness is. Does it have externals? Yes. Right? This is part of what we can be so maddening about after the gospel. It's full of hands, things we have to watch for, things we have to enact. But Jesus is all the, the point of all that stuff is the heart. I want you to be like me, and I want you to love me as I am, a God of mercy, even to the undeserved. Yanks my chain. 
mercy of God central. So I can be truthful, but I do it in a way that I remember I am a person who has received God's mercy, and my primary task as a follower and worshiper of the God of grace is to display that mercy as best I can. Which I have to say, I have failed out multiple times in social media and had to be. Don't know if you've ever had that. I have to go back and like, oh, crud. <laughs> Never respond to a morning. <laughs> so I also want us to think about how we live into this first thing. One of the things that's hard about this list and hard about God's justice is it's everything. It's not for Jesus just about how I do or enact faithfully these things out there, but it's also about how I speak to my mother in law, how I treat the people who live with me every day. Do I honor and respect those I've been given to love and honor and respect? Or am I envious? Do I chatter about other people at my work? Do I talk about them instead of to them? These are the things that Jesus lists. As here's one way you can know if your heart is connected to my heart. Whether you're reflecting in your light who I am. And you've come to love me, God says, for who I am. If we don't become people who live into God's mercy in every aspect of our life, then we will not want to be with this God who is the God of mercy, even to people such as us. Even to those people we say are those people. When I was thinking of an example of someone who I think has done this in their witness, I think of uh, Sister Helen Rajan, who some of you know is an advocate uh, against the death penalty tirelessly. You may know her as the author of Dead Man Walking and um, Susan Sarandon. She doesn't really look like Susan Sarandon, just as a little note. But one of the things that she does and tells very honestly in her book is that she, uh, Robert Willie, is one of the men that she tries to get off of death row. And she, uh, Sean, uh, Sean Penn is a combination of him and one other guy on death row. And in watching the film, you become really caught up. You understand who Robert Willie is and kind of some of why he becomes the person he becomes, right? Not a man who's experienced much mercy in his life. And Sister Helen begins to work oh, tirelessly for him not to be executed. But there's two things that she tells us and reveals about him in the midst of this story. As we're seeing him as a person, as someone in need of God's mercy, we see the crime he commits against two teenage girls. And all of a sudden, that mercy becomes a lot harder. 
Then we see him interviewed, and this is Robert Willoughby. We have this on tape, right? He's interviewed, and he's an Aryan, he's a white supremacist. He's an Aryan racist, spewing this garbage and filth. And there's Sister Helen, continuing to advocate for this man as this complex creature of God who also needs to know God's mercy. But she understands that she can't hide or shirk from who this person is, from an honesty. But she has first things first, I think. She knows that at the center of the gospel is God's mercy. So when she goes out and she's confronted by the survivors, by the father-in-law and the mother of some of this guy's victims, she joins forces with them to start a group called Survive, to try to help those who are victims, families, survive the trauma of this kind of terror. Sister Helen is someone who refuses to let go that at the core of the gospel is the mercy of God, and that makes her life really complicated. Because she loves and enacts the mercy of God just like God does to everybody, to all comers. What does it mean for you as you think about this sermon, as you listen to God's words? Who is it that you struggle to extend God's mercy to? How is it that you criticize maybe what are important second things, but they are second things? Our first thing is to never let go of the amazing, disruptive, offensive mercy of God. And it is that Jesus tells the Pharisees and religious scholars over and over again in Matthew's Gospel, you have forgotten that. The whole point of this whole thing. You're no longer worshiping. I mean, I love that the disciples are great, right? They're like, um, did you catch that they were offended by that? Like, you just told them that their worship was completely empty? How could that possibly be so from their perspective? They're deadly serious about Bible. Some of them, like me, make their living teaching us. How could they possibly have missed it? The words that Jesus says and that Caleb had going out of his mouth, maybe we should look again. This really is the word toilet, actually, does appear in this text, and just let me know. As those bowels or intestines, poop just was too good to do that. What's fascinating, right, about this when he says, don't you get it? Like, don't you get? This isn't a parable. I mean, Peter's like, hey, could you explain the parable to us? He's like, it's not a parable. It is what it says, right? Possibly can. 
and gets its start in the heart. That's what makes us filthy. And we see the fruit of that in ways we speak about other people, ways we think about others. By desiring people sexually, we should not desire. Sometimes by acting on that desire that we shouldn't act upon. By taking things or people or ideas that are not ours to take. That's how we know, Jesus says, that the heart is a mess. And when you look at this list, are there any in that list? Knowing especially the Sermon on the Mount, right? Which defines murder, which reminds us that what these commands were always about was always about the inside and the outside, right? Whether anyone else knows about what we are doing or contemplating, God does. And God cares about that because it produces a kind of fruit. What is it that is in your heart this morning that indicates that it may be filled? Rubbish, in a polite way. Maybe another word that comes to mind. That God wants you to say, I don't want to live in this film. I don't want to spew this film on other people. I need God's mercy to help us become different kinds of people. For Lewis, extend mercy to people like Robert Willie. And living out that mercy has to be complicated for us. If it ever becomes easy and we know exactly what to say, exactly what to write, exactly how to speak so we're seen as the good Christians or the cool Christians. I just wanted to be, I'm never quite going to make it. But I was wanting But that's not the point. I have to remember I'm a feminist because of who God is. And my primary call is not to be a feminist, even though, yes, part of how I enact that call to be God and follow God in the world is to call out this pattern of sin that is dull and crushing. But that's not the first thing. The first thing is to remember how I'm to be How do I witness to the pr- 
prodigal mercy of God. That's my first thing. So as we close, I want you to like look aside somewhere for a moment. Uh, you can close your eyes if you want to. But I want us to take a moment in response to God's word here. And listen to whatever it is that the text or that this sermon by God's grace has given you a word to respond to. So let's sit in silence for a moment and listen to the Spirit. That the Spirit can give you a gift to take away as a way of responding and receiving more of God's goodness and grace.